Uh, today I am going to, uh, I, I want to pick back up on the series on the Holy Spirit, but today I, to be honest, anticipated because of the snow and the parking situation, a much smaller crowd, and I said I'm going to do something else because I want the most people possible to, to hear the finish of the three sermons on the Holy Spirit. And, um, and so Pastor Linda, when I was talking about this at staff meeting, she said, would you please preach on Matthew 6? on the sermon on worry, and um, I thought, well, after all Pastor Linda's been through, I, I can throw her a bone here, and uh, <laughs> so I'm going to preach on this, and um, so I'm reading from Matthew chapter 6. Oh, by the way, I was supposed to have thanked the people that helped with snow removal in the first service, and I forgot, so thank you, people in the first service. Uh, there, I made up for it. Um, <laughs> Chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about your life, Jesus said. Worry, that's not a problem in here. Anybody have a worry problem? I come from a long line of neurotic worriers. My family took anxiety and turned it into an art form. My grandmother, you know, we can, we can trace the, the paranoid personality disorders down through the genealogy. It's, it's, uh, we're a scary bunch. And uh, my grandmother in particular, she... Uh, she was so afraid. She thought there were robbers and murderers around every corner. And she lived next door to our house. And so she had a front door and a back door. She nailed the back door shut with 16 penny nails, like nails that long. So no one could come in from the back. And she had multiple locks in the front. And she had four or five locks on her bedroom door. She had a chain and a deadbolt and a regular lock and other kind of stuff. And she packed heat to boot. She had a gun beside her bed. And she put a sign out at night, and the sign, you know, her name was Doll Walrath, and she put a sign out at night that said, Danger, great danger, I shoot to kill Granny Doll. That was my heritage. And uh, I don't know if any criminals were scared away at night, but I know I was scared away. I wouldn't go near my grandmother's at night. How did you die? Oh, his, his granny shot him. And uh, by the way, she got kidney disease in her 30s. And um, she worried incessantly about that for years. 
In fact, she worried about this kidney disease killing her for over 55 years. <laughs> Finally, she died at the age of 90 of something else. And uh, I could go on and on. But I am a natural worrier, and I get it honestly, don't you think? The way I often deal with worry is to adapt Murphy's Law to everything. You know what Murphy's Law is. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. And the way I deal with potential problems is to assume that not only will things go wrong, they will go wrong in their worst way, in the worst form. My attitude is, if the worst happens, I expected it. I was emotionally ready for it. And if the worst doesn't happen, I'm pleasantly surprised. I cannot lose that way. Unfortunately, living life that way it has, kept has me robbed me countless nights throughout my life trying to get ready. And it's not exactly biblical, is it? Don't worry, Jesus said. A lot of the things we worry about are, first of all, are just not that important according to Jesus and his perspective on things. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? According to Jesus, how we live is much more important than how long we live. What we feed our souls is much more important than what we feed our bodies. And what we do with our bodies is much more important than how we dress our bodies. And I know some of you are going, but you're such a Hollywood fashion plate yourself with those clothes. I, no, no, I really. God has plenty of stuff. And the good news is that God is generous with his stuff. Hold it loosely, Jesus tells us. Because the truth about our stuff is that it isn't our stuff. It came from God. It's a gift from God. And if we lose it, and sometimes we will, we didn't lose our stuff, we lost his stuff. What Jesus is telling us is, don't be defined by stuff. Don't be defined by material possessions. Don't let what you own, own you. Jesus said, look, the problem with stuff in this world the treasures of this world, is that it rusts, it rots, or it can be robbed. That's a good three-point sermon. God has decided with me, with me, by the way, to in my lessons about stuff, he, of course, you know he's used my cars to help me learn about stuff and all the ways they have been destroyed. The, um, this past week, I bought a new car. Not a new car. I've never bought, not a new, new car. But the, the Summers, uh, Ryan and Christy Summers, who flew to Peru yesterday as missionaries from this church, needed to sell their car. And our van is dying. It won't pass the next inspection, according to the people that inspect it, because it's rusting out. And so we needed a car. They needed to sell a car. God provided for each of us. Praise the Lord. And so I am the proud owner now of a 2012 Honda Civic LX in pristine condition. Are you listening to what I'm saying? <laughs> you shouldn't be applauding that. <laughs> Holy moly. Anyway, anyway, I get the car, and then, you know, the blizzard comes, and uh, I'm digging it out, and as I'm digging it out, I hit car with shovel. I put a nice, long 
and then I nicked the mirror with the shovel. And, and after a while, I said, maybe I shouldn't be using a shovel here. And, uh, and I thought about the contrast in the last 20 years. 20 years ago, this would have freaked me out. I got this new pristine car, and I've whacked it and scratched it with a shovel. But my attitude now is, hey, little Honda Civic LX, if that's all that happens to you, you are a very fortunate Dalton car. <laughs> a number of your older brothers have suffered horrible deaths. <laughs> Don't worry, Jesus tells us. It's just stuff. Hold it loosely. By the way, I've told the Lord, now see, I've learned your lessons. You don't have to destroy any more of my cars. The real problem with worry is that it gives us the illusion that we are in charge of things we're not in charge of. We don't control in the final analysis, Jesus said, like the length of your life. You don't control that. I've seen this multiple times. Again, two weeks ago, we held a prayer vigil. Heeding God's call here held a prayer vigil for the last three people murdered in Harrisburg. They weren't in control. I've buried two people who one week before were walking around in the, in the, in the peak of health, or so they thought, and a week later they were dead. They had infections in their body they did not know exist. Those infections might have been there for months or years. Those infections broke loose, got into the bloodstream, became septic, and within a matter of a few days they were both dead, and we've had both funerals here. We can't make ourselves taller or live longer, Jesus said. We don't control drunk drivers, swerving tornadoes, or hurricanes. Lane. We don't control life. We are not in charge. Worry is pointless because we are trying to control what we cannot control. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying live life passively because of that. I'm not saying, nor was Jesus, God will take care of you if you do nothing. Just lay back, throw up your feet, and relax. It is true that God provides food for sparrows. But the sparrows have to get out of the nest and go get the food God provided. It's true God feeds the birds of the air, but no animal on this planet works harder for their food than birds. They spend a tremendous amount of energy and time to harvest what God has provided. Trust is not the same as passivity. The same holds true, true about planning for the future. We should plan for tomorrow. We would be stupid not to. We should save for retirement. Otherwise, we may end up being a burden on others unnecessarily. But hear me, planning and worry are not the same thing. Planning is doing what we can and should do. Worrying is trying to control the things planning can't touch. Plan, then trust God for the rest. Work, then trust God for everything else. Do what you can do, then leave the rest to God and don't worry about it. There is a clear division of labor here, don't you think? The point Jesus was making is that the birds assume that God will always provide for them. So they don't worry. Birds don't get together and go, oh my, do you think there will be a worm shortage tomorrow? I heard on Squawk Box on MSNBC, there's going to be a worm shortage. Oh, oh, and do you think the ant supply may dry up? Millions of ants are dying. I heard it on CBS last night. 
Do you think the trees will stop producing seeds because of global warming? Birds have an inherent trust that what they need will be there today and tomorrow and the day after that because if God gives us life, surely he will give us food. If God gives us bodies, surely he will give us clothes to cover and warm them. If God gave us his son, surely he will give us a destiny and a calling. God will take care of you. Isn't that the old hymn? Through every day, come what may, God will take care of you. After all, no one has more invested in us than him. Are we not worth more than the birds? With apologies to some of the nutheads from PETA, are we not worth more than the birds? Are we not worth more than flowers? Some who live only one day and then are burned in the oven, Jesus said. By the way, this is true in desert regions. There are flowers that may lay dormant for years until a rain comes. And in Palestine, actually out west in America, when sometimes it will rain once every year, once every five years, once every ten. But when it rains, these flowers, that seeds that have remained dormant, they will explode. And you will see millions and millions of anemones and or anemones or some kind of flower. <laughs> And, and poppies and stuff. And for a day or two, the desert will be glorious. And then a day or two later, they are dead. And they use them for fuel to make fires in Palestine. Jesus said, if God creates exquisite works of art like that, like these flowers that only lasted a day, do you not think God will take care of you? If he clothes the grass of the field, will he not take it? Are you not more important than grass and flowers? Our God knows what we need and is glad. He is glad to meet your needs. Now, what we think we need and what God thinks we need may be quite different. But make no mistake about it. God meets our needs as he sees them. God will take care of us. So don't be afraid. And here's, this is the point that Jesus is getting to. Don't be afraid to live life boldly, fearlessly. Don't be afraid of the future. Don't be afraid to attempt great things for the kingdom of God. Don't be afraid to make mistakes while you're trying to do good. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid of the what-ifs or the maybes. Don't live life in fear, Jesus because, said. You know, I think they've done studies. It's Don't like be paralyzed or by 93% of the stuff we worry about will never happen. It will never happen. And the other 7%, it won't be nearly as bad. We are terrible at predicting the future, at guessing at it, and then worrying about it. Do not live life like a weatherman, guessing, guessing, guessing. Four to eight inches, my, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and let me tell you something that many of you don't know. Here is the truth about worry. Most of what will be truly tragic in your life or my life, you will never see coming. It will be something so bizarre or so strange or you, you won't see it coming. What we worry about most of the time is not what happens. It's what we don't worry about that gets, what we don't anticipate. The drunk driver, the cancer cell, the bizarre accident. The things, you see, we, well, you have to give the future to Jesus. 
because we're lousy at guessing at the future. Trust God who sees what's coming in the future. He's there waiting for us too. Waiting for us. Don't worry. He is there with His provision. The same God that can take care of you now can take care of you then. The same God that is with us now will be with us every step of the way. Do not worry, He said. Because we are more valuable to Him than anything else on this planet. Then Jesus gives us two antidotes to worry. Two practical pieces of advice. The first is this. If you don't want to worry, focus on something bigger than yourself. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first what God is doing, and all these other things will be added to you. Draw close to God. Walk with God in the Spirit. Prioritize His kingdom first, and everything else will fall into place, he said. We usually reverse this, don't we? We usually say when everything else falls into place, and I got the time, I'll seek the kingdom first. Don't reverse that order. Don't reverse it. It doesn't work that way. Nothing falls into place until you seek the kingdom of God first. Nothing happens right until God has his rightful place. And the problem with a lot of us is that we keep losing the big picture. Jesus is not supposed to be just another spoke on the wheel. He is the hub. Everything turns around him, revolves around him, his love, his values, his kingdom. Jesus was never intended to be one voice among many voices. He is the voice we listen to. Everything we do, we buy, we choose, we believe is to be in alignment with the kingdom he is bringing in. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I know of a chaplain a campus minister who used to like to go around and just shake up college students. And he would ask such questions as, why did you come here to this university? And often he would get the answer, I came here because I couldn't think of anything else to do, or my parents made me come and they're paying for it. And then he got, would ask them, why do you go to class? What is your objective in going to class? And usually they would answer to get good grades. And he would ask them, is that your objective in life? Is that your goal in life, to make good grades? And they went, no, no. You, you've got to make good grades in order to, to graduate. That's why you make good grades. Is that your purpose in life, he would ask them, is to graduate from this college? No, no, no. You know, and getting a little more agitated. You've got to graduate in order to get a good job. Is that why you're here? Is that your main purpose in life is to get a good job? And they go, well, no, no, you got to, in order, you know, to take care of the family and have cute kids, you got to have a good job. Is that your purpose in life? And by then they would say, no, we, I'm sorry, i got to go to class, make good grades. Most of us think in ways that are not kingdom thoughts. We are called to think kingdom thoughts. We are called to think in terms of the big picture. Most of us think short term. We have the wrong perspective. I know there was a poll taken, and, I, and in that poll, people were asked ultimate questions and guaranteed anonymity. And all that they asked in this poll was for honesty. Polled were asked, what part of religion when it came to the subject or spiritual values, what part do they play in your everyday decision-making process? And 99% of those asked 
said their religion or their spiritual values played no part in everyday religion, in everyday decisions. 99% said played no part. No part in the jobs they chose, or the education they chose, or the major they chose. No part in the spouses they chose, or how they lived it, how they acted at work, or how they parented, or how they conducted their marriage, or how they related to people. Most people live their lives with no big picture in mind. Jesus does not accept that. He says, seek ye first the kingdom and the values of the kingdom. Live in the name of Jesus. Live with what He wants in mind, in His character, for His purpose, in His spirit. For instance, how do I work in Jesus' name? Our jobs might be, you know, bringing us into contact with many people during the course of the day, whether it's customers or co-workers. But to live for the kingdom at your job means you don't look at people just as customers or as accounts. Or, or, you know, just, just as, as, as somebody that you got to get along with. You look at them as people, real people, who Jesus loves with real needs. And as we open our hearts to Christ moment by moment, we might say a quick prayer for somebody that is hurting right beside us. Or, or take a genuine interest and encourage someone that's struggling right there on the job. We might go a little out of our way and help demonstrate Christ's love, you know, get, you know, instead of you eating the Snicker candy bar, you give it to them in the name of Jesus. But you don't tell them that. The main goal on the job for Christians is never just the job. It is what is Christ leading me to do on the job. The same with families and friends and neighbors. Always our hearts are to be fixed on Christ and our minds on the kingdom, on the big picture. It's important that churches remember the big picture too. It's very, very easy for churches to forget to seek first the kingdom of God. Because brothers and sisters, we are not a club. Clubs for the most part exist for their own members, but a church is ex exists for Christ and the world he loves. We exist for the poor and for the lost and for the broken. Far too many churches are dying because they are clubs, not real churches. Because they quit seeking the kingdom first and are just focused on themselves. Once a church becomes a club, it is dead in the water. It may or may not know it, but it is dead in the water. No. My fear is that most American Christians don't even know how to seek God's kingdom anymore. We don't know how God's kingdom is supposed to work in a marriage or in parenting. Do you know what, how God expects you to be in a marriage. Do you know that? Do you know how God expects you to parent? Do you know how God expects you to manage money? Do you know how God expects you to relate to your enemies? Do you know how God expects you to relate to the nation? Do you know during a political season how God wants you to relate to politics and politicians? Do you know these things? There is a Christian principle or command for every one of these in the kingdom of God. We not, don't, not only don't seek the kingdom, a lot of us even don't know what the kingdom looks like. Discipleship in these areas has to become a priority for all of us. But know this, if you give your life to something greater than yourself, Jesus said, you find real life. Jesus said, if you follow me, if you die, I'll resurrect you. If you die, I'll give you the time of your life. Seek the kingdom first. 
Because if you give all that energy you spend on yourself to something greater than yourself, the natural result is you worry less. You are energized. You see possibilities instead of major on your own problems. You see opportunities to serve instead of worrying about a scratch on a car. Life, when we seek the kingdom first, takes on its proper perspective. And to our amazement, it is totally freeing. Free from bondages like fear and anxiety. Free from all the self-absorption, which is the greatest bondage of all. You are never freer. You are never freer than when you are free from yourself and your ego. When you serve Jesus, whom the Son makes free, that person is free indeed. And finally, Jesus gives us his second practical way to defeat worry. He tells us, live one day at a time. That's easy, isn't it? Don't let your mind race off to the future. I never do. Because today, Jesus said, has enough troubles of its own. We don't need to be borrowing problems from the future, do we? We don't need to be taking on problems that haven't showed up yet, do we? But we do it all the time, don't we? Gerald Mann tells about a friend who got in trouble. Mann is a, was a pastor in Texas and he was an author. And he said this friend called him. A friend of 30 years called him. And this friend said all hell's about to break loose. And he was weeping He was one of the state's most prominent citizens down in Texas. As a young man, he started a small business and built it into a corporate empire. He had a model family. Charities received liberal donations from him. Employees shared in the profits of the company. Fifty cents of every dollar he made was given away or shared with his employees. He was a model Christian businessman. And he said to man, Tomorrow I will be indicted for tax fraud, he said. And to tell you the truth, I don't know whether I'm guilty or not. I've made a lot of money. I told my accountants to avoid all the taxes they could. Amen. But they may have crossed the line between avoidance and evasion. I really don't know and I can't honestly say. And then he paused for a long moment. But I can say this, Gerald. I cannot bear to expose my family to the disgrace that's coming. My wife and children are suspicious of me for the first time in my life. I'm sitting here with a gun on my lap. I don't know whether I should do it now or after the story hits the paper, but my world has ended. Man said he knew he was crying out for help, otherwise he wouldn't have called. He would have simply just pulled the trigger. And Gerald Mann said the wrong word would have been disastrous at this point. But what was the correct word? And he said, I prayed, I prayed. My mind screamed for an answer, Lord, help! And then the words flowed out like water. No, he said, Mann said to his friend, no, your world hasn't ended You feel too dadgum bad for it to be the end of the world. Don't get cute, his friend said. You don't know how I feel. Yes, I do. You feel awful. You feel trapped. You don't think you can make it. You can see the shame, the scandal in the papers, the jokes by your your peers, the tears in your family. 
Well, the Bible says that when the end comes, it's going to be trumpets and angels and choirs and wonders. It's not going to be with a gun and suicide. Your world hasn't ended, man said. A chapter of your life has. And the only word I get from God is this. Wait to worry. Did you hear me? He said there was a long pause. Okay, I'll say it again after the pause. Wait to worry. Wait until they indict you, then deal with it, then worry. Wait till you get a lawyer, then deal with it. Wait till you get his bill, then worry. Wait till you're pronounced guilty, then worry. Wait for the sentencing, then worry. Wait for the cell door to close, but wait to worry. The man was indicted and went to trial. He paid gigantic legal fees. But two years later, after, as it drug through the courts, the man was exonerated and acquitted of all charges. And Gerald Mann said, I saw him a while back at a political campaign function. And this man saw me. He ran across the room and he grabbed me and gave me a bear hug. And he said, I want you to know that your three words saved my life. I have posted them everywhere. In my car, on the refrigerator, on my desk, all over the offices. What I've learned is that God is out there in the future waiting for us. Wait to worry are not my three words, Gerald Mann replied. They're God's. He gave them to me who gave them to you. The Many fear of having to suffer is as crippling as facing the suffering itself. Often I find it's worse. We cannot avoid the problems that arise in life, but we can wait until it's time to worry, can't we? We can let that little neon sign get going in our head and let it flash every time our insides not up, not up and over the what-ifs and the not-yets and the maybes. Maybe that little sign could go, wait, wait, not yet, wait. We can't live tomorrow today, Jesus told us. We can only live today, today. You can't live next year in the next five minutes. Did you know that? The next five minutes are all any of us have got to work with. Plan for the future, but live in the present. Don't waste what is right in front of you. I told them in the first service, one of my great regrets is when my kids were growing up, I didn't treasure the moments with them. I was so busy with church, and there were three of them, and they were hype, you know, they bounced off the walls, and, 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 and I just, I looked at them some, more as a task often then as a joy, and as Lamont, can I get an a, amen, <laughs> amen. Lamont's got five sources of treasure, and, but I, I wish, I wish they were so young and so adorable and so innocent, and they thought I was the smartest man in the world. Not stupid like I am now. Don't miss the beauty in front of you right now. Don't miss what today offers you right now. Don't miss what God offers you right now. Don't miss the love coming to you right now. Don't miss what the Spirit is doing in your life right now. Today has enough in its own agenda, don't you think? And it's all we've got. The present is all we've got. Worry diverts our attention from now and causes us to waste the only thing we can do anything about today. Jesus says, live now. 
Give the future to God. Plan for the future and trust the God who closes the flowers of the field. Wait to worry. Do what you can and trust the God who feeds the sparrows. Wait to worry. God has your back. Wait to worry. God has a, today has enough trouble of its own. Wait to worry. God is out in the future waiting for you there. Wait to worry. There is nothing God cannot use for good. Wait to worry. There is nothing he cannot redeem. Wait to worry. <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and the God of that kingdom will take care of you. He promises. Here's what I didn't say when I preached this sermon the first time. Pastor Linda told me, you know, they, they regularly, she had abnormal cells in her body that they said were precancerous. And, and through the years, they, they, they tested, they took biopsies to test to see if they'd turned into cancer. And so they, before, before she found out, she had, they took another biopsy. And she said she was in her kitchen and cooking. And she said while she was in her ki kitchen cooking, not knowing which way the biopsy was going to go, the Holy Spirit fell on her. And the words were thrust into her mind. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And Pastor Linda said, even before the doctors called her, even before she went to the doctor's office, she said, I knew at that moment I had cancer. God was telling me I had cancer, and he was telling me he would go with me through cancer, and he was preparing me for cancer. We serve a God who prepares a table for us in the presence of cancer. Hallelujah. We serve a God who anoints our head with oil with his spirit, and our cup, our souls, run over in the presence of our enemies. We serve a God who chases, surely love will chase us all the days of our life and mercy will pursue us all the days of our life right into the future. And when all is said and done, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wait to worry. That's your choice. At this time, I'd like you to bow your heads. I'd like us to And pray. here's what I'd like you to do. In light of what you've heard this morning, what do you need to give God that you've been carrying that no human being should be carrying? What are you trying to control that you can't control? And that may, may be another person. What are you trying, what burden is yours that Jesus says that needs to be my burden, not your burden? I'm going to give you a couple of moments of silence to give, let the Spirit speak to you, and to give what you need to give to Jesus and let it go and stop worrying about it.
Lord Jesus, help us to let go of the burdens that are not ours to carry. Help us to give up control or the illusion of control over that which we have no control. Help us to trust you with our futures. Help us to trust you with our present. Break the shackles of fear and anxiety and worry that keep too many of us in prison. Lord, you want us to have joy. You want us to have peace. You want us to feel your love. You want us, Lord, to be free. Help us to be free. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like the worship team to come forward. I'd like the prayer intercessors to come forward. We're going to, worship, we're going to open the altar for prayer for any kind of situation you may want us to pray about. But during this time, please worship or keep on praying for yourself as the Spirit speaks to you or pray for people you see up front. But would you stand and let us worship as the Spirit continues to move.
as we prepare to leave, we pray even right now, help us to be defined as a people, not of worry, but of faith and trust in you. Help us to wait to worry because sufficient for the day is its trouble and you are greater, you're stronger, you're mightier to hold it all. So God, we give our lives to you, we give our trust to you, we give our faith to you, and we ask for even more power, love, and faith and trust in you. Help us to be defined by our trust in you and not the worries of this world. In your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. God be with you.